Our heart sponsor for today is the 501c3 nonprofit National Treasures Artists in Residence. We are supporting them by offering an audience-requested masterclass on business plan writing. Over 30 days, you will receive daily emails with micro-tasks broken down over the month that will give you a complete plan. This will help you assemble your ideas, communicate your concept to others, and raise capital. Participants will be eligible for prizes that will help you polish your plan to optimize success. Visit AchievePodcast.com forward slash business plans with an S to register. Our mind sponsor for today is the Culturally Competent Conversations for Equity and Belongingness Summit, also known as the C3EB Summit. If you are a business owner or a decision maker in your organization, not focusing on equity and inclusion of your personnel is harming you. Research shows that 70% of employees are not engaged in their workspaces. Not only are you not getting their best contribution, but the higher turnover you are facing is costing you in rehiring, retraining, and onboarding new people. Get your access pass to C3EB to experience nearly 100 hours of content across nine tracks and a dozen industry sectors for their summit on November 19th and 20th to find out just how much money you can save while maximizing your profit margins. Visit www.c3eb.com. On this episode, we have Aparajita Jidigunta. Aparajita was born in a small town along the southeastern Indian coast and grew up in Hyderabad. She migrated to the U.S. at the age of 14, settling in Michigan. She started her undergrad as pre-med, but due to a traumatic brain injury, she opted to study psychology after researching her condition extensively. While pursuing graduate studies for her master's and doctorate in psychology, she unfortunately suffered another traumatic brain injury. She recovered once more and engaged in extensive academic research and teaching. Recently, she has become a vocal advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Aparajita, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you so much, Asim. I'm so excited to be on here and have this conversation. I've been looking forward to this for some time. Um, You have an amazing history, amazing background, and your just life devotion to the service of others is so heartwarming and touching. So um, it's, it's, we haven't known each other very long, but um, because of your willingness to be vulnerable and your candor, I feel like I've gotten to know you extremely well in that short period of time. And I think there's just so much wisdom you can impart for our audience. And so it's, it's really great. Uh, thank you for the privilege of being able to share your story. Wow. Thank you. Um, I, I don't see it as, uh, you know, uh, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless, actually, that you just said wisdom. Uh, thank you for that. The honor truly is mine. Um, I think as we get into the, our conversation, you know, our spe- your speakers, your listeners, rather, will understand that my candor and my openness and me owning my vulnerability, um, that's really just um, my personal values that become my core values and Mm. the idea of of being able to be myself authentically in every space so that no matter who I talk to, they get the same version of me. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, It's just something that I've trained myself on and practiced because of my life journey. So thank you for acknowledging that. Oh, 100%. You certainly earned it. That's so great. I love the way you framed it. Uh, 
Um, I like to go back to the very beginning. And so you were born in India um, on the southeastern coast and then grew up in Hyderabad. Share with us about that, some of your early memories. Mostly, I think it's probably from Hyderabad that you would recall. Um, I actually have the fortune of recalling even the small town and the villages and all of that because uh, both my parents worked a lot as uh, most you know Indian parents do even in India. Uh, my mom and both of them um, were very career driven. My mom still is very career driven. Mm -hmm. And I had the fortune of having um, just an enormous family that was able to support my parents. You know, it really, the idea of it takes a village really was true in my case. Uh, I would be shipped off to one of two villages every summer. <laughs> um, and wow. yeah, and so these villages and these little towns, these are where um, I really understood uh, and really experienced my earliest um, instances of just genuine, authentic connections um, that were with no ulterior motives or agendas. Um, you know, the, the, almost like the purity of that rural life. Uh, I got to experience nature and um, being able to run across the rice fields and like oh. have somebody you know climb up a coconut tree and chop off some coconuts for us because we were thirsty like it really was on demand <laughs> on demand on demand uh it was in many cases like very idyllic in uh, you know, in retrospect, of course, I did not realize that at that time, but uh, they, these were, these were my formative experiences, especially when juxtaposed with the hustle and bustle of Hyderabad, which even back then was so cosmopolitan, yes. you know, and uh, it was, and that's, Hyderabad is actually one of the places where I first, you know, even back when I was five, six, seven years old, started learning about inclusion. Wow. You Amazing. know, because here was the city. Very precocious of you. Well, I, again, uh, these are, you know, lessons that are that came to me in retrospect, right? I didn't yeah, realize sure. them yeah. at that time. But I mean, imagine being able to grow up in a city that originally wanted to be a part of Pakistan, but just had 2000 right. miles of India in between. Right. So they had to make do. Yeah, and exactly. um, then the old city was predominantly Muslim. Um, you know, the Nizam family was still looking over many parts of the city and the governance of the city and all of those sorts of things. But then we had places like the Birla Mandir and like, you know, the yeah. temples and uh, a huge Hindu population, um, a huge Christian population. And yes, there were conflicts and yes, there were riots, especially around political seasons. Um, but for the most part, for everybody to just get along and coexist so beautifully without getting on stepping on each other's toes i mean yeah. you know being able to experience ramzan and you know yes. in hindu festivals and 
uh, Christmas in the Indian way, all at around the same time sometimes, it was magnificent to think back on that time and realize, wow, they were doing it 20, 30 years ago. Um, we can get back to that now. Yeah, no, 100%. It's uh, the harmonious existence um, is really amazing. And, you know, pre, you know, when there isn't strife, sometimes that happens in other cities, but, you know, Mumbai it doesn't necessarily happen all the time. There have been the rioting and uh, uh, the conflict. Um, but when you have that intimate sense of community and you think of um, people as your neighbor or you think about them and the roles they have in their lives that are similar to yours, you know, the ultimate identity is you see someone else as a, a father, a son, a brother, or a sister, a mother, a wife. It, um, it, it takes away the um, anonymity so then you're not saying, well, they're a different religion. I can't grasp that. It's like, uh, you can, because it's the same existence that we're living in. And that's what contributes to harmonious existence. So yeah, it looks like they, they got the formula right. <laughs> they did. They had it back then. I, I haven't been back recently to understand uh, its evolution completely. Of course, one of the big things is the tech industry and, you know, yeah, then there's right. also globalization factors and all of this mm -hmm. other stuff. Right, right. But um, the, the Hyderabad I, I'll always have in my heart is that where we humanized each other because of our differences, not despite mm -hmm. them. Love that. That's so yeah. great. Uh, I was there in 2016, most recently, and um, just love the cultural experiences that kind of the the Nawabis and the, the Mughals uh, brought, not just in terms of guzzles and Kowali music, but food-wise as well. <laughs> just, uh, you guys are the standard bearer of biryani. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. I have goosebumps just talking about biryani as soon as you said that. Um, yeah, um, I mean, Hyderabadis really love their food and they know how to do their, like, they know how to, like, elevate every yeah. culinary experience, um, which I'm so grateful I got to experience that too, um, because it really brought out this appreciation in me of wanting to try out different types of foods as you know as I grew up and as I traveled and explored um even now everywhere and of course you know I, I this is how I always know I'm Indian and Hyderabadi <laughs> everywhere I, I go I like sort of you know judge somebody's Indian food standards uh, by the go. biryani they serve that's the litmus test absolutely yeah. that makes perfect sense <laughs> pass fail right here this is a deciding yeah. factor <laughs> yeah. I will decide your entire region's Indian cuisine based on your biryani <laughs> nice. oh, that's yeah. so good Wow. Yeah. Now, uh, I know that um, you've had this lifelong passion for dance. Did that start young in Hyderabad or was that later in life? Actually, it was later on in life. So um, okay. when I grew up in India, um, I did, I did, I did take dance classes, but um, my parents had, um, apparently I was singing before I was even talking okay. full sentences. So my parents... Wow enrolled me in Carnatic music by the time I was 
two and a half, two, something like that, to where they even, um, and this is, this is a story that I'll never, I don't think I'll ever be able to live down because even to this day in my family, anytime they sort of want to get under my skin, they'll just bring it up. Um, it was this really famous Carnatic music teacher and my parents finally got me an audition with him and to, you know, to become his student. And they made me practice these slokas and, you know, um, devotional, like a small devotional song over and over and over again to make sure I was pronouncing it well, the, you know, singing it well and everything because this teacher had very high standards. I get into the audition and I'm looking at this guy and I end up busting out with my twinkle, twinkle little star. No way. Oh my God. That's fantastic. <laughs> How old were you? I was like two, two and a half at this time. And my parents oh, were there oh, and they mortified. told me they they were so mortified. They're like in jaws dropped. And they, oh, my mom wow. had tears in her eyes and they were like, oh my gosh that's it. This is, she's never going to be able to get in with this person. And, you know, we came out of the audition and they were like, what happened? And I was like, did you see that scary man? I forgot what I was supposed to do. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. And as it. it turns out, um, you know, he reached out back to my parents about like a week later and he was like, well, we're going to have to teach her the difference between nursery rhymes and classical music but at least we have a clear starting point <laughs> okay all right so he brought you back and did you become one of his disciples i did i did yeah. uh i did nice. become one well, of his disciples and kudos I um for the scary man to see the humor in that and look beyond <laughs> exactly right um and i still in fact i still have family members who keep in touch with him and apparently he brings that up to his students now of um and i'm just That's like fantastic. wow i'm never gonna live this story down no ever. you're famous you are absolutely famous for that very very specific reason yeah, yeah. i think you should own it own it with pride <laughs> i mean i do and i don't because i have no memories of this so right. it's literally oh, okay. from other people telling me and I, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those where I'm like, you know, it makes me realize how independent I was even back then. But at the same time, it's also like, hmm, that streak has moved on. However, I wish I could remember this. <laughs> sure. No, exactly. It would be a real gem. <laughs> of course, you do have plausible deniability. But um, yeah. I think the beauty of that is that it's, um, you know, there's a teachable moment in there. Like you're putting, you know, making this child do something that's so unnatural, so uncomfortable. And this was a scary man. You were frightened by him. And so you just did what was comfortable for you and Twinkle Twinkle Little Star was comfort. So I think that's an important lesson there. I think I, I absolutely I love think that. So. Now, um, if I recall, you're an only child. Yes. And um, I love the share that you um, uh, described for me where um, you talked about how it is that you ended up with a more traditional Bengali first name. <laughs> uh, well, uh, um, that's all my dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's His all fondness my dad. For... Yeah. 
yeah. I mean, Bengalis are known for being the uh, sort of carrying the cultural banner of India mm -hmm. from the literature and uh, yeah. poetry and uh, arts perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he was just his work took him there so much and he enjoyed everything about his experiences there and uh, of course you know in in the Bengali culture in addition to the arts and the 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 literature and the sort of the, the philosophical notions which my dad has this underlying philosophical streak to him even though he's an engineer so that side never comes out um but he's you know he's a very deep thinker so I think it it it, it he appreciated that he could be an engineer and a philosopher, you know, or a philosophy student, or you know, somebody interested in philosophy and literature, arts, all of these things in that space. And of course, then um, you know, tying it also back to um, um, the goddess and yes. and the Bengali culture being so openly. Um, in celebration and in honor of, of the goddess, Durga, whether yeah. Durga or any other form of, you know, the, the, the yeah. ultimate goddess. Um, yeah, so, so it's what the, we consider, I mean, yeah. it's broad Hindu goddess yeah. of education. Yeah. yeah. So when I think, you know, of course in India, you're not they're, they're, you're not allowed to find out about the gender. So that part is a surprise, but I think, you know, when they, when he found out that, you know, when they found out while I was born and I'm a girl, it, it almost was like a no brainer for him. Of course, he found a way to like tie it into my whole family where he was like, in Aparajita, uh, stands for this person in our family, Para stands for, and he just made up this whole thing about it. And my mom was just like, uh, yeah, why don't we go with your like appreciation of the Bengali culture? That's a simpler. <laughs> explanation and it really is the truth that's so funny i love yeah. that the the post justification after the fact yeah. <laughs> the rationalization as it were yeah oh so um how old were you when you left hyderabad and headed to you came direct to michigan or you came mm -hmm. elsewhere in the states well i mean i was in new jersey for like five days but um, I'm not sure if we can count that or not. I was mostly jet lagged. <laughs> um, but uh, I was 14. I just turned 14. And I was on such a great trajectory in school in India. Uh, I mean, I was um, so in the Indian schooling system, you have these, you know, school captains, which are like the president or the VP of the student government and all of that. But the captains, so to speak, work with very closely with the administration and the teachers to make sure that the student experience is great. And they're generally, my school had, uh, my school was K through 12. And these captains generally came out of the 12th graders or the 11th sure. graders because they were the most senior ones. There I was, I just finished ninth grade and I knew that, you know, elections happen in the fall. Um, I, there was already talk about me being the school captain by 10th grade. 
Wow, fantastic. You know, and uh, yeah, and I was, I mean, because I was involved in every aspect of that school, you know, I was doing, I was leading a lot of their, I mean, I led that school to sports championships, I led them to singing championships, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't dancing even at that point, dance is something I picked up once I moved here, um, to answer your question earlier, but so I was on this like really great trajectory and then my parents are like, oh yeah, and we're moving to the US in like six weeks. What? Oh no. Six weeks? And I'm in the middle of like summer holidays. So I I can't even say bye to my friends. Yeah. Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it, but, but, you know, so I was very resistant. But we came here, got through jet lag in New Jersey. Then (laughs) um, the other issue that also happened is that I literally just turned 14. And in the public school system, they wanted me to repeat ninth grade because I was too young. And I point blank said, no, ship me back to India. Good for you. (laughs) You know, ship me back to India. I'll stay with uncle so-and-so, auntie (laughs) so-and-so, like whomever, like hire me a nanny, whatever. I am not doing this. Because in addition to that, on the placement tests I was placing because of again the Indian education system I was placing at the 11th and 12th grade level so you want me to go back to ninth grade and do like learn things I learned in like seventh grade no absolutely not especially because I don't even want to be here you know (laughs) um so then they shipped me to Michigan because um my cousin went to a private school here And it was the only school that my parents could find where they were willing to waive that age restriction. Nice. And so that's how I ended up in Michigan. (laughs) Uh, But you you were on your own or you were with your family, your parents? So I, for the first year, I was with um, extended family. My, yeah, my great uncle and uh, great aunt. Uh, whose whose daughter, my technical aunt, I suppose, uh, my mom's cousin, uh, she was the one that went to that school. So I stayed with them for the first year. My dad actually had to finish up, wrap up his job stuff in India. So he didn't, um, we moved here in July. He didn't move here until January of the following year. Okay. And my mom's job was in um new jersey so she stayed back there so for a whole year we were completely apart and then um we finally were able to get together again but for that whole year i was with uh, my extended family yeah that must have been hard not only leaving the country with all these friends and clearly very popular with your schoolmates and then being isolated in this new country and of course you couldn't have really chosen a colder spot Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean i'm glad they didn't ship me off to alaska i suppose (laughs) you know but i'm yeah wow um really glad that didn't cross their mind um as i'm thinking about it but it was uh you know i think it was 
it was going through, I mean, I was going, I was 14, I was going through puberty. And then there was a culture shock aspect of it. And then there was me having to go through that. Granted, my family was very sweet, but they're still not my parents. You know, exactly. they're still not people I can sort of get angry at or, you know, it's like, right, you right, know, be yeah, completely open with. Yeah, be completely open with. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so it was like a triple whammy of like that being isolated from family puberty and culture shock all happening at once yeah, yeah that's a big that's a lot to deal with wow um well is, is this a time when dance kind of figured into your life because was that an outlet something that you could grasp onto that kind of made sense of all the other chaos so yeah i think yes and no i think a more of what it was is that a huge part of it was I was just really missing expressing my Indianness. Yeah, true. Going right. through all of this. Um, and, and that was very, you know, it was very alienating. It was very, um, I felt very marginalized. And I, it was, uh, it was that time where, you know, I was, of course, being a teenager, those are the formative years where you're starting to form your identity. And I didn't have a solid, stable base yeah. to form it yeah, on. Course, yeah. So I was really kind of grasping at any straw that I could. I kept singing, of course. And of course, there were the local associations, you know, the regional ones, like the mine was the Detroit Telugu Association, just like the Gujarati right. Samaj or whatever else. So singing in there, but it's still, you know, it's still something like, you know, that wasn't fulfilling everything. So at my school, um, they had this thing called Ethnic Bazaar where they just um, showcased um, cultural talents of how different they are from America. Um, and so I literally just grasped at that because a senior at that time was like choreographing something. So I just went up to her that and, and it was also my own because I I also went to a school where I was only one of like maybe three or four Indian kids in my class, wow. and I was the only immigrant. Wow! Because they wow. were American born. Yeah. Um. So I didn't I didn't even know how to connect with them. Yeah. And then this was happening, so I like literally went to this choreographer senior person, and I was like please let me be a part of this. <laughs> I've never danced in my life, but I'm a good learner, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll find out. Um, you auditions, we'll figure it out. <laughs> exactly, right? Like, just give me a chance. If I stink at it, like, kick me out. I'm okay with that, but just give me a chance because I saw all of these other Indian kids kind of gravitating towards that. And so for me, it was, here's my in. Yeah. yeah if I can do this, I can, I can, there, I have something to connect with them on finally. Exactly. Yeah, no, brilliant. And I'm sure that senior was a lot less scary than the old man. So you didn't have to resort to twinkle, twinkle, little stuff. No, no, but um, I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure she saw the first few things. I mean, if there were awards given, I'm pretty sure I would have gotten the most improved because I really, <laughs> really sucked. I know, oh, I know I think that much. Very humble right now. You know, um, but no uh, I had two left feet to start <laughs> off with like that's just the truth of it 
But it became a springboard because from there it became a very big part of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I ended up just enjoying it so much and I never, cause I'd taken dance lessons in India, like Paratanatyam lessons, right. um, which are very different, you know, cause they're so sure. structured and everything, exactly. but my parents made me stop that for my singing. So I never got to explore that. And so it, as a teenager going through all of this, it was just such a unexpected way for me to feel free. That I was like, I'm never letting this go, ever. I'm, I'm sticking to this. I'm holding on to this thing, no matter what. And yeah, like you said, it was just a springboard and I just took off from there with no end in sight. That's amazing. That's yeah. so great. Yeah. So um, when you went to university, you opted to study psychology. Was that something that kind of developed in, in high school or maybe through the various experiences you were having? No. You would think so, right? No, uh, I started off undergrad as pre-med like most other Indian kids. Oh, that's a big shock. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> right? Like who would have thought? Um, <laughs> um, I went through about two years of pre-med and that's when I had, um, I had a traumatic brain injury. I, that was when it happened, right? So yeah, yeah please that was my share first with us that, that experience. What happened there? Um, so it was, it was a concussion. Uh, I was hit in the back of my head and it's a long, oh. silly story. But, um, it, you know, so I was hit in the back of my head and it was a concussion and it, it was at a time when concussions weren't classified as traumatic brain injuries. Well, so I okay. went to the clinic, you know, in the health system and all of that. And um, that was the only place I could go to because um, two reasons. One, I was still an international student uh, on, you know, the full oh, international yeah. student with the insurance. And so my healthcare options were very limited. And two, um, this concussion happened at a party and there was no way in heck I was about to let my parents know I was at a party. Oh, right. So I went to the <laughs> clinic um, and they literally just told me to go home, sleep it off. They didn't even give me painkillers. They told me to stop at a pharmacy on the way back to my dorm pick up some Tylenol and they were like, yeah, sleep it off. It'll, your head will hurt for a couple of days and then you'll be fine. And here, we'll write you a note for like two days, like two to three days. And then, you know, you'll be fine. And they did say like, you know, if you like faint or something major catastrophic, come back, but whatever. No MRIs, you think, nothing. You're not going to necessarily be aware that that's happening. So. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Somebody didn't think through their advice, but right, um, yeah. Uh, gosh, that, that just the whole thing feels like a, a just a giant blow off, and so yeah. So you leave the clinic, and then mm -hmm. I left the clinic, and I followed the clinic, you know, the clinic's advice. On the way home, thankfully, the bus, the university bus, stopped at the pharmacy. So uh, that was that was where the bus stop was. I was like, okay, great. Picked up some Tylenol, went home. Uh, took the Tylenol and um, the next week I was back in school and I'm like, oh, well, I guess this is not too bad for okay. about four to five days. Yeah. And then 
mm-hmm. weird things started happening to where all of a sudden um, things weren't making sense. Like, you know, I mean, words were making sense, but not the full sentences. Wow, okay. You know, and um, then my friends started noticing that my personality had changed all of a sudden. Uh, I was this like complete stickler for rules and like checking off all the boxes and Mm. making sure I was like the perfect Indian student and the perfect Indian daughter. And all of a sudden I was... Um, skipping classes, sleeping a lot, having a lot of headaches. Uh, And I was mostly actually skipping classes because things weren't making sense. Yeah. And I didn't know how to tell people that. Because when I went back and I told, when I, you know, I did go back to the clinic and I was like, these are, there's some weird stuff happening. They were like, oh, you you might want to go to the psych services to get checked out for a personality disorder. Wow. And there was no, and of course, coming from the Indian American, you know, the Indian culture where mental health is such a huge stigma. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not going to go to yeah, psych services. Exactly. Are you out of your mind? Like, you no. You heard that and you're yeah. Said, absolutely not. Yeah. So oh. I didn't know how to get people to understand, like, I don't think this is, a personality issue I think there's something wrong with me um and so I was just trying to grapple with all of that and that's actually how I found psychology because I couldn't nobody was understanding me uh I wasn't understanding myself all I knew was I was miserable I no longer wanted to check boxes off I no longer cared that I was the perfect student. Like, in fact, I was just, I would, you know, it was like this 180 into me like being so focused on being perfect to, ugh, perfection. I'm going to do everything going the other way, you know, kind of a thing. And I was just, I was so lost and I happened to pick up a psych book. Wow. Incredible, huh? You know, yeah, and because this was like, you know, right when internet was still coming up, I mean, I think I just aged myself there, but um, like it, the internet as we know it today, sure, so Google, all of those things, they were still like in their pre-infancy stages, and so I was in the library with real physical books, and I just happened to find this book on like, you know, neurology and all of that and I'm like well pre-med anyway blah 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 started reading all of (laughs) that and then more and more and more I was like you know I just got drawn in so that summer I went home and I told my parents yeah um I'm not gonna be an MD uh and they just they they thought I'd lost my mind and (laughs) completely and I was like actually yeah I did (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> spot on mom that's exactly right? what happened <laughs> yeah i was like how'd you know i i didn't tell you any of it you know they, didn't, you they didn't tell me this at the clinic and you just figured it out mom well done right <laughs> exactly um but so i took some time off from college because they were like no you have to be you know pre-med and then my dad goes fine if you don't want to be pre-med go into engineering and i'm like 
no. <laughs> so I took a semester off and then I went back. And at that point, that's when I, I literally told him, I, you know, and of course my dad being who he is was like, are you gonna just like sit around and do nothing with your time? In which case I might as well just get you married off. Um, or are you gonna go back to school and you know finish what you had started? And they said, great, I'm gonna go back to school, but I'm gonna finish what I started, not what you started. Nice, well done. Yeah. That's so good, yeah. Now, um, uh, after four or five days, you were having these, um, you know, going through these things before you picked up the psych book or you, after reading that, like you began to understand more deeply, like something's off. Were there, was there a treatment that you had to undergo or what happened? No, you just had to kind of live with it and kind of adjust on your own. Wow. Yeah, because even in psych books at that time, TBIs weren't brain injuries. Right. You know, wow. so... I, I, even at that, but I understood a little bit more about the quote unquote personality disorders to where at least internally I destigmatized it for myself. And I was like, so I, until my second traumatic brain injury happened, I actually went through, and uh, there was a decade in between the two. I went through that decade thinking I had a personality disorder, that there was something massively wrong with me as a person um and that i was just a screw up wow you know not taking into account that i was still somebody who in retrospect with a brain injury um graduated with a psych degree um with like a 3.99 gpa got a full scholarship to grad school uh, all, like, of course, I wasn't, you know, counting any of those. I was just a screw up, <laughs> you know, uh, and it it's took amazing. the second one. Yeah, go amazing ahead. Amazing how much, um, how self-critical we can be. Yeah. Uh, I see this with a lot of my, you know, fellow Indian origin friends. Um, but it sounds like you learned how to be kind to yourself and forgive yourself over time and certainly a little bit at that time you know, to be able to have the strength to say i'm going to go back to finish what i started and it's in this direction it's not an md or an engineer it took a lot so kudos on that thank you um my grandparents while my parents thought i was nuts my grandparents actually really, my mom's, my maternal grandparents uh, really supported me at that time and spoke up for me, you know, on my yes. behalf. Yeah, um, so I think that was a huge factor in it and goes back to the, the foundations I set with them because I grew up with them, yeah, um, so True. Yeah. you know, so that was immensely helpful. But um, yeah, I learned how to be kind to myself. Um, many years after my second TBI. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah. we'll get to that. But the decade yeah. in between, you earned your master's, you earned your doctorate in psychology, both of which happened in Hawaii. Yes, the doctorate happened after the second TBI. But oh, okay, um, so you finished your master's. And during this time in your life, you spent a lot of time doing research and, and teaching. Yeah, yeah. How so- did you enjoy that? 
I loved it. I loved, I loved every, I mean, psychology was something, you know, so I finished my undergrad and I actually worked as a choreographer, as a stage manager. I managed a Thai restaurant, um, just did all of these like little sorts of things. Oh my God, Renaissance woman. Uh, you know, it was, I, I, I really was, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my psych degree. I knew I didn't want to be a case manager, right. you know, um, because by then I'd already known I uh, part of my undergrad experience. I had to do an internship and it was in clinical. And by day two, I knew uh, -uh not what I want to do. So uh, okay. that, you know, because it was just uh, it wasn't an experience that I saw myself being able to really fulfill in a great way um, for the rest of my life. Because again, at this time, I didn't know who I was. Like I thought I had a personality disorder. Sure. How am I gonna help others when I'm, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, yeah, you know? Yeah. And um, so I did all of those things. Then I got, um, I got invited on the full scholarship to go to Hawaii. And so then I went there, finished my master's my, and my master's thesis was actually research in India. So I got to kind of experience multinational research. And um, oddly enough, I, you know, again, this may come as a huge shock, but, you know, sarcastically speaking, I was really good with numbers. <laughs> 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 and um, so I was like sort of the uh, go-to statistician in our department in grad right. school where even people working on their dissertations, their PhD dissertations were coming to me just to get my eyes on their design or, you know, oh, just nice. to kind of help them kind of clarify how <laughs> the design, you know, the stats and the analytics can figure you know can can be just a little bit more elegant a little bit more simplified like you know because as grad students the what i can tell you about almost any grad student and i think you know you'll agree with me we tend to overthink things sure absolutely you know yeah, like part for the course <laughs> we're, that's that's what grad school teaches us really <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent point. You're right. But I, I just love how there you are as a master's candidate and you're teaching or helping the PhD students out. It was like when you were back in India and you were captain at, you know, 10th grade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, the way I would have been had I been there. Yeah. Yes, but, you know, yeah. 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 So it was just, and then, you know, and of course my advisor like really loved me and she um, was really pushing me and onto these like local radio shows and news interviews um, because she studied um, so my advisor has a very interesting history and she um, she was considered she still is considered the mother of interpersonal psychology like it's wow. still her definition of love that's used in textbooks and when we Amazing. learn about love and relationships and all of that and there I was to have Right. And there I was, her student. She handpicked me um, out of a silly little research project I did in undergrad about the secret dating behaviors of Asian Americans and, and Arab Americans at that time. <laughs> and you can't publish that. Nobody can know. 
<laughs> well, actually, now that I have children about to enter that age, we should find this out. <laughs> I know. At that time, it actually got denied publication everywhere because they were like, what is this? And I'm like, this is a part of many people's reality. Yes. We, oh, you yeah. just don't know about it because it's secret. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, so I just all of these things. And it was really, again, everything I've done if I had to boil it down into a single sentence, it was a quest for self-discovery. I love that. That's so great. I you mean, know? it's a, just a most perfect mission to be on because you'll always be motivated. You'll always be going towards something that you're passionate about. And, um, and you proved that out. That's what's really great. Wow. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was... So, no, so when people ask me like why I went into psychology and like, you know, what you were asking me and all of that, bottom line, I just wanted to figure myself out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? No, that, but that's so important. So few of us bother to do that, especially those of us who come from immigrant families, be it Asian American, Arab American, or um, Chinese American, Korean yeah. American. We just are on this sort of treadmill that our parents have turned on for us and to set the program as well <laughs> and so okay i'm just supposed to do this and everything's going to be fine <laughs> yeah yeah nothing's yeah. fine when you do that <laughs> i know I, I now call it the hamster wheel of insanity <laughs> oh well said yeah you know because it's like hwi the hamster right? wheel of insanity the, the way we're programmed it doesn't even stay at the same pace. The pace keeps picking up to where if you can't keep up with it, it's one of those like literally cartoon images of you flying out of this hamster wheel and hitting really? a wall somewhere and going yeah. thunk, you know? With certain death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that, and often that death is the death of our cultural reputation or the reputation in our culture because of yeah. what will people say? What will auntie yeah, well, so-and-so well, I mean, say? Exactly. That's, which is, you know, oftentimes considered far worse. Yeah. And I was yeah, just like, yeah. I mean, I'm already a screw up. So who cares? I've had, I had friends in New York when I was doing banking, <laughs> investment banking, they were like, see, you have this weird disintegration complex. And I'm like, what the heck does that mean? He's like, they're like, if you don't stay on this path, you feel like you're just going to disintegrate. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> In fact, disintegration would probably be better than what I would face if I didn't stay on this path. <laughs> if only I had option B, but I don't. <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like that social judgment or... I'm just going to completely deny myself any happiness. Yeah, I have no problem denying myself any happiness. Okay that. uh, that, yeah, that's such exactly. an easy decision to make. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. so true. So did you stay in Hawaii? Was that where your second uh, TBI occurred? Yeah, okay. um, so, so I was in Hawaii. Um, I was, it was, uh, so the program I was in was an MAPHD program, so I couldn't. Okay stop it you know gotcha. um gotcha. i had to kind of go through the whole thing plus i wanted to um because yeah. i mean i was again on such a, such a great trajectory yeah but what great I, department great peers great research you were doing great mentor right and what i didn't realize at that time was now this time i was still putting myself into boxes and still allowing others to dictate who i ought to be 
granted in a field I wanted to be in, but when it boiled down to like the nuts and bolts of it, um, I really hadn't evolved all that much. You know, it was just um, um, same stuff in a beautiful paradise environment with a beach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all that changed yeah. was I didn't have to deal with snow. Setting. Literally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a really positive change, but. <laughs> yeah. And there I was like, you know, was it like 3,000, 4,000 miles away from everybody I knew? I had a chance to completely be who I wanted to be. Did I take it? Wow. Nope. <laughs> wow. Okay. You know, it did not even cross my mind until the second TBI happened two days after I declared my doctoral candidacy on a topic with, on, in an area that I still can't make sense of what the heck I meant back then. Because <laughs> I looked at it, you know, after it, I was looking, I looked at it and I literally looked at my advisor and I looked back at it and I was like, what does this mean? Oh, wow. And she's it made like, sense at the time. Right? And she looks at me, she goes, you tell me. And I'm like, I have no idea what I meant here. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so two days after that, um, I don't know how I proposed and like did all of that because I don't need like the literally nothing about it made sense. I, I was just like, this is garbage. This is actual pure mm garbage yeah. i mean it was very well constructed garbage right. that would have gotten me a lot of exposure as an expert okay but the actual topic and content was garbage <laughs> <laughs> you know just it me. seems like you're being very harsh on yourself are you are these, are these words that uh societal pressure would have people would have said to you or is this oh, really what you no, felt no 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 no, because I would have gotten, you know, again, it was, this is me being very real and very yeah. canded in owning that. Um, okay. it's, well, it's not negative really self-talk at all. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Cause <laughs> I literally, I, I can't even for the life of me remember it right now, but I literally, it, it was definitely such a fluff project that I was in my own way trying to have it be my rocket fuel into academic stardom. Okay. Wow. That's you know? being very raw and honest yeah. about your intention and motivation. Yeah. And it made that. no sense to me. I had no personal ties to it. I had zero passion on studying mm. it, which it was like, especially after that TBI. So second day, I was supposed to be teaching a class and I had to drop off some paperwork um, because I'd gotten, even though I was ABD at that point, all about dissertation, I'd gotten offered a full-time position at a community college that yeah. based on the performance review of the first year and whatever could have turned into a tenure track position. 
Nice. Great. And of course I was like, Ooh, launching to stardom. Let's do this. You know, like I was just so focused on, cause everyone was telling me like, you can be the next expert in this field. You can be like the next talking head. Like you can get all of this. Like you can get so many book deals and da, 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 da. You can be a superstar rock star. Like, and you have the looks for it and you, you know, you're young. And I was also younger than anybody else in my cohort. Right. Um, so I, I, of course I was like caught up in all of that. Like, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. You, you know, um, then the, uh, then I got hit by the car. Then I got hit, like literally crossing the street, got hit by a car, took me out. Um, I still don't know who this person is, but my savior, my guardian angel savior, there happened to be a bus stop there campus bus stop. Again, those show up a lot in my life. Uh, oh, <laughs> campus bus stop there and this young woman i do know it was a young woman i don't know anything more about her saw this happen and i was literally lying in the middle of the street from the hit dragged me out of the way of the traffic because the car that hit me ran the red light Mm. and ironically it was a student who was running late to one of my colleagues' classes. Oh my goodness. And my colleague was a known stickler for attendance and timeliness. Um, Just so ironic how all of these things, like kind of like, you know, the confluence of all of these factors and changing life. Like when you say life changes in a moment and the butterfly effect, talk about that you know in in my life so true oh my god yeah so she ended up pulling me out of the street which of course technically is not recommended but i wasn't i wasn't showing bleeding anywhere and all she wanted to do was get me out of the street so i wouldn't get run over uh, because it was a busy street pulled me to the side used my phone to call 911 told them the exact location then her bus came so she hung up got on her bus and left i still to this day have no idea who this woman is but she saved my life wow yeah and right and um then i had a conversation all i know is i had a conversation with my great-grandfather and I'd known he had been dead for most of my life. So I was like, did I do drugs? Mm. Like what happened? Mm. (laughs) Like, you know, all of this stuff. Then I was brought back to life and he's the one, you know, so it was, then I found out I had a traumatic brain injury and then I checked out and then they were stabilizing my vitals and like all of this other stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. When did you come to, in the ambulance or in the hospital? Oh, I think it was like um, way later at the hospital. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, definitely not in the ambulance. Although they did, th- what they told me is that they were asking questions and I was responsive. I have all, I the last thing I remember is sort of feeling like the world is going sideways as I was, you know, crossing the street. And then the next thing I remember is 
waking up in excruciating pain in the hospital and being told um, they nobody knows why I'm alive. Wow. And why I'm not in like a persistent vegetative state given the nature of my injuries. And I was just like, what? Hi, I'm here. And then they started asking me questions. And that's when I started realizing the severity of it because they asked me to like give somebody's number and I could. Then they asked me for my name and I was like, oh, I don't know that. Wow. You know, and then they asked me for some friends' names and I was like, I don't know those. And they asked me for my parents' names. I don't know that. But then they asked me like, do you know where you are? Yes, a hospital. Hmm. Do you know what you do? I'm a doctoral candidate in something. (laughs) And then I was like, wait, what does a doctoral candidate mean? Like, what did I just say? I don't know what I just said. You know, so it was just so complete, like my brain was so completely scrambled that I like, you know, didn't know anything. And that's really where my life trajectory started changing, you know, because as they stabilized me and as things started coming back, that's when I got to see my entire life in retrospect. And I was like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. That know, was the I'm- epiphany, so to speak. <laughs> but, I mean, you had been building towards it for some time, but that was really the awakening moment where... Yeah you were going to then live the rest of your life for you. Yeah, yeah, that was, it was. And granted, there's this giant theme of you being in service of others, so not just for you, but you weren't going to be subject to other people's judgments about the choices and decisions you were making. Exactly, so I would say it was a moment where I decided that that's what was gonna happen. Now, actually implementing it that took a few years yeah but, of course yeah but <laughs> that's that was, a lifetime work in progress isn't yeah it? <laughs> exactly but that was really like going through all of this coming back being on again grad student insurance which doesn't even cover flu shots so not having any um after like you know recovery plan rehab any of that stuff i was like literally dropped rendered invisible and um all of these things just started coming up and I was my my parents came over for a couple of months to help me set up but they were still working so they couldn't be there they kept telling me to quit my program and come back home my department kept telling me I need to quit the program and that they were thinking about like you know discontinuing me and I was sitting there going "Uh, uh, 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 uh-uh-uh-uh-uh Whoa. Not after all of this work that you've said I've done that I don't even exactly. remember I've done. Yeah. You yeah. can't give up now. Exactly. Well, good for you. I'm glad you didn't listen to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's been an interesting, interesting journey uh, to even, even in this conversation to reflect on all of this. Well, and I appreciate your willingness to do that. I know sometimes it can dredge up emotions or feelings from the past. So um, it's a lot of courage you're um, share, you know, exhibiting and sharing this with us. So that, that's really appreciated. 
So you defied all the odds, you defied what everyone was uh, prescribing for you, and you said, I'm finishing this. And so you wrote your thesis, defended it. And mm -hmm. um, did you stay on in a teaching role in Hawaii, the community college job you mentioned earlier? No, somebody else ended up getting that because, because of my accident, I couldn't go turn in the paperwork on the time, on time. Wow. And so one of my colleagues ended up getting that job. Um, and most of my department, except my department chair at that time, actually thought I was dead because that's the news they got back. So wow. imagine their shock when I showed up in the department yeah. Yeah. and they were just like, we were about to remove you from the system. And I was like, oh over my, my dead body. Oh, wait, that already happened. <laughs> well played. That's clever. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, and then that's after that is when I saw like my dissertation topic and I'm like, what is this? Mm. And my advisor was like, you came up with it. <laughs> And That's I was just like, funny. wow, this is awful. So completely changed my topic completely. Um, the other thing that also happened is I was no longer the stats expert in that space because mm. um, I, because of the nature of my injuries, temporarily developed severe number dyslexia. Oh, oh, wow. So yeah. Interesting. So okay. I went from being the sought after expert to people would come to me and I would look at this and I would literally, uh, I don't even know what any of this means. Wow. So it's like so these numbers don't make sense. Yeah. yeah well, you know? And that, well, and then how was it using a statistical paradigm when with your own research and dissertation, were you able to get there for that? <sighs> It was, uh, it was excruciating. Wow. Oh, man. It, it was physically, cognitively excruciating. And um, there was also this, you know, little piece of, so because I didn't have a recovery plan and rehab, in, and I'm, 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 I'm able to say this 11 years after the fact, I wasn't seeing it at that time, but mm -hmm. I, as it, at what people were getting surprised about was uh, there was a lot I had to relearn, you know, like I could, I, I was able to talk, but like, you know, the big grad school level texts and articles and the jargon, I had to relearn. Wow. making sense of all of that. I had to relearn functioning as a grad student, mm. functioning as an expert in training, all of that. But I guess in retrospect, I did it so quickly that at the time people actually didn't realize I was injured as severely as I was because I was bouncing back so rapidly so quickly yeah you know and, and 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 back to in some cases even beyond where i was prior to that wow. what they did not see and realize was all of the work that i was putting in on the back end in my dinky little apartment holding myself up in and like literally 
bawling my eyes out through all of it. Um, and in retrospect, the reason my recovery was so quick was because I didn't have a recovery plan. I had no therapists, occupational therapists, neurologists, any sort of experts telling me what my recovery ought to be. Yeah, true. Yeah. Wow. So I didn't realize I had limits. Right. All I knew was my department's trying to kick me out over yes, my dead right. body, Just... went over that joke. My parents want me to come home. If I go home, they're probably going to get me married. And God, no, no, no. Right. Uh, uh-uh, <laughs> no. Um, <sighs> You know, all so it was just the again the just the confluence of all of these factors. Yeah, yeah. survival. Right, it was survival. I had I I had no other option. Yeah. Um, so I did it, and three and a half weeks after I got out of the hospital, I went back to teaching. Wow, that's way too fast. (laughs) In retrospect, it really, really was because I don't think I think I I don't think I processed the nuances of what I was doing at that time because I was so hyper focused on just one step in front of the other. Yeah, no, of course. Um, Um, But yeah, that desire to get back to normalcy, of course, is so understandable. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I overcompensated so much that I ended up building myself to far beyond what I even could have been had Mm. the accident not happened. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Because, I mean, I was doing four or five hours of Sudokus every day um three four hours of new york times crossword puzzles for the language and then the math and then the i would literally find lsat logic games and break (laughs) my re-break my brain over them and just all of these things i was doing because all i wanted to for me it was i just want this stuff to make sense yeah yeah not realizing the neuroelasticity part of it that my brain sure. was still healing that's why i wasn't getting it yeah my brain healed on its own time so by the but at that by that point i'd overcompensated so much that when i did actually recover i mean i can do a new york times sunday puzzle in half like in a half sleep state even now wow amazing you know and <laughs> it, it's just those like little kind of things like sure, you don't yeah. realize yeah, how absolutely. you're overcompensating and at the end of the day your muscle is going to be so much stronger yeah, yeah. wow oh, that's really incredible well i mean uh, again uh, having never been through that i can't explain but i'm just so sorry that that happened to you but the tremendous amount of strength you showed and resilience and character and fighting your way back clawing your way back um and really just listening to yourself i mean i give you a ton of credit kudos on on all of that that's really extraordinary thank you thank you um yeah i sometimes when i talk about this stuff i 
uh, I'm kind of shocked that I'm talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you deserve all the accolades yeah. and the credit. Yeah. Uh, for there, sure. It's weird. That's that's the weird part, right? Like right, even right. now, eleven years later, parts of this stuff that I share, I'm like, oh, that that was me. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Well, um, of those eleven, how many did you spend in Hawaii after the incident? Uh, three years and thirty, three years and forty-two days. Okay. Well, you have it down very precisely. Um, so after all of this happened, I actually took my comps because I changed my dissertation topic. I technically, I suppose I was in a coma. And so technically speaking, I took my comps nine months to the day after I woke up from a coma. Wow. Okay. And uh, I defended three years and 26 days after, um, after I got into my accident. Wow. So uh, it feels like your math aptitude is back in like full force, by the way. <laughs> oh, uh, no, I actually sat down and like, you know, at some point after I got married and like, actually, when I was on like maternity time, I decided to like, map these things out and count, you know, because I was just like, I was just trying to make sense of it all. So that's why yeah, I know all yeah. of these numbers. Yeah, um, yeah. But wow. um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, so after... Hawaii, you came to Orange County or Newport Beach. Yes, by way of Michigan, two states in India, and then, yes, uh, wow, Long Beach okay. first. Uh, okay. We, I, uh, my, my marriage got finalized about 12 days after my hooding ceremony. Wow. Um, okay. And yeah, yeah, uh, it was really interesting. Um, and then my engagement happened in Michigan, but because of the nature of Indian families and everything, and also because my grandparents and then my now spouse's grandparents were too old to be able to travel at that time. Yeah. So we did the whole engagement in Michigan, then the wedding in South India, then there was a reception in South India, and then there we came back and then there was a whole reception planned in Sacramento, which is where my in-laws live. So it oh, was okay. like this multi-continental thing that lasted literally a full year from the day of the engagement to the day of the wow. reception. Wow. Yeah. It was nuts. It was nuts. Yeah, but I yeah. ended up moving to um, Long Beach first, right okay. after we got married, and um, then to Orange County, and now I'm gotcha. back in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Well, how did you meet your husband? I've known him since I was 14. Oh, so when uh, you first moved here, was he in Michigan at that time as well? Yeah, he was in Michigan. And as it turns out, you know, that um, regional association I was telling you about. Um, Detroit, yeah. The, yeah, the Detroit Delgo Association. So he was a part of that as well. And um, um, I had like a little bit and by a little bit, I mean a huge uh, teenage crush on him because um, he was one of the, you know how teenage boys are. You know, like with the whole um, 
I just want to be like liked by girls, but I know I don't want to give them any attention because I don't want them to think I'm like their little lap dog or whatever. I don't know what goes on. I, I'm not a teenage boy. I've never been one. So I don't know what goes, goes on through their minds. I'm just showing, you know, in terms of the outward behavior, there is yep. that aloofness and that sort of like coolness factor of I want girls to like me but I want to sort of be the player type, you know, that's how most of these guys were. And I was especially coming in from India. So I was like, what is wrong with these boys? <laughs> like, do they not know how to talk to people? That's funny. You know, cause it was so different. I mean, I'm sure India now teenage boys are, but when I was growing up in India, when I was growing up in Hyderabad, it wasn't like that. So when I came in here and this is what I was experiencing, I was like, these boys are so weird. <laughs> like, what's wrong with them? Don't their parents teach them how to make friends? <laughs> um, yeah, apparently, <laughs> apparently not. Um, but then there was my now husband. He actually talked to me normally. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's how he rose above the crop. Good on him. That's all it took. I mean, Good look at him. where the bar was set. He actually yeah. talked to me like a human being. Yeah. And I was floored. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Wow. So that's well, that was this. I mean, did you like float in and out of each other's lives, or yeah. were you in touch since fourteen? Mm -mm, mm -mm. Okay. No. Um, which, by the way, uh, for any teenage boys listening, that's a really huge tip for you. Yeah. yeah. Right there, dating tip. Just treat them like a human being. Yeah. And I swear to God, you're already going to rise above the crowd. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so uh, we kept in touch during high school a little bit because of DTA. But um, he and I actually ended up going to rival schools because I went to Michigan and he's a Spartan. Uh, so MSU, sure. MSU, so zero, zero contact. We did briefly reconnect Um for a couple of months, um, right as I was finishing up undergrad. Um, and he was, you know, in a job by then because he's a couple years older than me and everything. But I was, you know, I was finishing up undergrad and I already, I already knew at that point that I was checking off to Hawaii. And I was like, peace, Michigan, I'm never coming back, even if you pay me. <laughs> and um, he was at that time, um, he had, um, gone through some changes in his life where he wasn't, you know, the connection was brief and we had good fun. We were friends. We hung out a bit. And then he just went somewhere. I went to Hawaii. Boom. We lost touch again. And um, he actually was one of my dissertation participants randomly. Oh, wow. And that's how we ended up reconnecting um through that it was a combination of that and um a mutual friend who kept dropping hints of btw you know he's single right <laughs> that's so funny yeah, yeah. so the universe kind of conspiring to help uh, yeah you guys together yeah gotcha. yeah so, so 16 years <laughs> impressive yeah. well done yeah so um when you were in Orange County, when you were at Newport Beach, you started a group called Cultural Conundrum. 
<laughs> yes. Um, yes, I did. Uh, it was supposed to be a blog and it ended up being more of a group, um, which at that time I had no idea what I was doing, you know, cause mm. I was, my blog was literally about just me venting. Right. You know, because that was when I started processing all of these things that happened to me. Um, Because so what had happened was um, after we got married, I tried the whole employment route. I had a couple of jobs, you know, I had a job completely miserable in it, completely to where I was like, I hated getting out of bed. Well. And, and this was also not a regular nine to five by the, you know, I, this, the, 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 my, my boss there who ended up, you know, who was the CEO actually, um, here I was newly married and she actually one day kind of half jokingly was said, you know, if you just divorce your husband, since you don't know him well enough anyway, you could focus more time on helping me build a business. Uh, what? Wow. And I just kind of looked at her and I was like, ha ha. And I think because of my reaction, she was like, oh yeah, it was a joke. But if I had shown any sort yeah. of interest in it, I'm yeah, sure she would have like, you know, kind of, exactly. So it was just such an awkward situation. And there I was. So, so then I left that job and then I um, kept applying, you know, started applying to other places and I kept getting told like none of my experience counted as experience. Wow, that's hard. And I'm and I'm sitting there going, do you know how much project management it takes to like do a dissertation? Do you know how much team management it takes to, you know, fulfill a dissertation? Do you know everything that goes into it? I'm like, mm-hmm. no, it's not just about subject matter expertise. Like these yeah, are transferable skills, but corporate didn't seem to understand that. So I was, I think in that one year I applied to like about a thousand jobs and had maybe five interviews, which I'm not completely blaming it on others either. There is a huge part of it where I wasn't presenting myself in the best way because I didn't know who I was even at that point. Oh, okay. And I didn't know my strengths, but more importantly, I didn't know my purpose of what I wanted to do with it and how I wanted to serve and contribute. Yeah, and yeah. that's such, that's a really important lesson. I think, especially for us as Indian Americans, um, a lot of our uncertainty comes because we don't know those pieces, which is why we continue on the HWI, the hamster wheel of insanity, because at least there, we have our parents and our elders dictating every move to where we don't have to think. So it's not that (laughs) we're afraid of doing something different. We're never trained in how to think for ourselves. Yeah. That's the scary part. Excellent point. Yeah. Wow. You know, and very astute observation. Yeah. And I mean, a thousand jobs, five interviews, like there had to be, there had to be something there, right? Especially me being a data scientist going, what is going on here? Yeah, exactly. So that's really where all of this cultural conundrum stuff came out of, because after all of that happened, that's also when I started having reproductive problems. I see. And so 
combined with all of that, I like, it was literally a conversation with my husband where I was like, so I'm miserable and apparently unemployable, but I still think I have some value to add to this world. I just don't know what. And I think I'm just gonna, since it's not like I have job prospects, like jumping at me anyway. So I think I'm going to figure myself out. Wow. And yeah, and he had a stable job and everything. So he agreed. He was like, yeah, it's not like people are beating down on our door trying to hire you. (laughs) So (laughs) sure, go on this journey. That's really where everything, that's where the recovery, that's where the real healing happened. That's where making the invisible visible came out of. That's where everything started in a tiny 600 square foot apartment in Long Beach, California. Amazing. Well, fantastic. It's great that you went through that exercise, not only for the fact that you needed it for yourself, but it also gave birth to your uh, coaching business and uh, the platforms that we see on the screen behind you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tremendous amount of outreach. You've got a conference uh, set up where we've got four events or more during the year. Uh, It's really phenomenal. So yeah, it'll be walk us through those various steps. When did you have the inspiration to start these entrepreneurial endeavors? Um, You know, actually, I have to credit my husband for me becoming an entrepreneur because I I had sort of figured out some of the stuff. And, you know, through especially through cultural conundrums, I'd figured out all the ways in which society renders us invisible and all the ways in which we internalize those messages and render ourselves invisible. That's where I was. And then I was like, okay, great. Now what? What do I do with all of this? Right, right. Wow. And um, he was the one that he was, you know, and I, I was, we would have these conversations and I was like, I mean, I tried the academic stuff. I love teaching, but I hate the bureaucracy of the administration. So I'm not going back there. Yeah. I tried the corporate stuff. Nope. You can't pay me enough to go back there anymore. Um, You know, and I tried this and I tried like, you know, it was like literally I tried going back to school, but I knew more than my teachers did. So that didn't work out, you know, because of my experience. So and then he literally looks at me and he's like, you do know that everything you've done so far is what entrepreneurs do. Well, they just experiment. Yeah. They try stuff out, they figure out what works, they figure out what doesn't, then they tweak it nice. to grow. That's, that's so true. And that's all you've been doing this whole time. And I was like, huh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so it's not about like setting up like a grocery store or like, you know, one of those Patel brothers type of things or, you know, and he just looks at me and he's like, oh my God, can you stop stereotyping us? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, no, because it's funny. Um, <laughs> but no, it was really like I had no idea what entrepreneurship was. And then once he told me about it, I took a few uh, courses from the UCLA Entrepreneurship Program, not in their degree or certification, yeah. just courses to learn about it. And then a few online stuff. And then the more I started learning about it, I was like, dude, I've been doing this for a decade now. Mm, amazing how did i not know about this yeah 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 
I didn't know this was called. <laughs> right? Like I literally yeah. didn't know that this is what entrepreneurship was because Amazing. all of the stories we hear of entrepreneurs are once they've already gotten to where they want. Yeah, to that's to, true. Right? You don't hear about the failures at all. Yeah. yeah. And you don't hear about their growth. You don't hear about the lessons yeah, that they or learned. The hardship and... that was faced as they went yeah. on that path. Yeah. yeah. You just kind of see the elegant end of the, of the story. Yeah. You see that end product super nicely packaged so well with the right branding (laughs) and the right everything. And of course, when people talk about these stories, they sort of downplay the struggles because they don't want people to think like, oh, no, 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 no. I did this because I'm an expert. Yeah. yeah. No, you did this because you (laughs) fell on your face eight times. No, that absolutely has to happen. But I wonder, and maybe you could opine on this, like, sometimes I wonder if that's just uh, like um, uh, evolutionary, like survival skills, like we have to forget the failures, otherwise we won't be compelled to get back on the damn bike. (laughs) So I think it's more of a reputation management and what will people think thing outside of the Indian scope. I think entrepreneur. I, I think I think you know, and this is something I only say half jokingly because I've had so many thoughts about this. I think in like the Indian cultural mentality historically has been very entrepreneurial, which is where that what will people think and that perception management. Yeah, comes no, from. that's true. Yeah, I mean, well, I would say very enterprising culture we certainly mm-hmm. do come from but yeah reputation management is so tantamount to everything yeah. and kind of drives a lot more than than it should exactly um, and then well then people get a false sense and then they go try it but it, and yeah it just it's more concerning when young people try it and they get disheartened and they don't yeah. keep going yeah. and the the thing is that you have to have several times when you've fallen off it yeah. just is how it is it's the best way to learn um absolutely so. and well, if i had this- any tips to give on that particular thing especially mm-hmm. what you said about maybe it's just safer for us to forget it otherwise we would never <laughs> get back up that's a, no remember every single time you've fallen on your face mm. so that you never forget where you came from so that you never forget the growth because I was forgetting all of those through my journey, right? It's only after that second TBI when I had to take the time to remember all of these things I had just conveniently thrown out of the window saying, land, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Those are the things that actually built me up because every single time you fail, you get to learn. So true. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, so failure is not failure. Failure doesn't even exist in our vocabularies as entrepreneurs if we don't let it. But all you, so don't remember them as failures. Remember them as learning points. Remember yeah. them as growing pains, as growth points. As, you know, if you're a gamer, these are your level ups. <laughs> so true. Well said. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a gamer. TM, I'm gonna borrow that. Are, you are? Wow. Okay. Uh, no. I, I, I'm not, but my son is getting really big into it. He plays Fortnite a lot. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, I grew up on like Mortal Kombat and all of that, you know, like the original wow. stuff. So, but if you think about <laughs> okay. if oh, original stuff, I grew up on Atari. So that was I like, did too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my first, my first ever system was Atari, but let's bring it to at least like a classic game that people can still understand if they're gamers <laughs> talking about Mortal Kombat or maybe Doom. Um, if you want to get into like the uh, card games then Magic the Gathering. Um, no, I'm not much of a gamer. I remember Tetris uh, in high school. And <laughs> I got frustrated with AP Calc. I would play Tetris, but nice. that was nothing instead of it. Yeah, no, I'm, so. I, 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 somewhere in this journey, I was a competitive gamer for like a year and a wow. half. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, okay. It was in that recovery journey because. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, I mean, I was just say esports is a big market. You can make a lot of money. Yeah. Competing. Did not think about that because I was only focused on me being a part of these virtual communities where I could just right. let all of this go and process while I gamed process while I like so beat sense. the crap out of people yeah. or like, you know, yeah. things that blew really up towns, that whole yeah. thing. Yeah. It was well, good see, stress relief. <laughs> a thousand job possibilities, five interviews. I mean, if only you had stuck with gaming where you, you but there's still time. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I've way too many things going on these days for me yeah. to even think about yeah, that. It's true. Well, a lot of exciting things too. So yeah. tell us about C3 um, yeah. and how that came about. Cause that's very exciting. Well, so C3B has been a pipe dream for about two years. Um, before it got started. And it really was, it initially started off as sort of a platform where, you know, so in addition to me being a trained social and personality psychologist, I'm also an ICF trained certified professional executive coach. I'm also an advanced certified practitioner. Like, I mean, I, I don't put like 70% of the, 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 the letters that you see, there should be like about 15 more, but then <laughs> my name's already so long, it would take like five lines. So I just stopped. I just completely, I was like, I'm done. Um, so with all of these, I was, you know, what I actually wanted, what, the, the, what I was seeing is that I had the privilege to get these resources that are traditionally only accessible by decently well-off white people right true um i mean and and, and and then couple that with the cultural stigmas of even now in the indian american culture when you talk about coaching or life coaching they're like oh is that therapy nope not even close but that's the perception again right so yeah. i was in the like so that's what i was seeing a lot of so my initial thought was Man, do my people even know that this is something they can take, have, that they can use, that it's not just like, you know, and that it's okay to invest in themselves? Because that's another big thing, right? Is it's never okay to invest in yourself. That's selfish, that's arrogant, that's X, Y, and Z, all uh, negative stuff. Yes, and just, yeah, all these negative things. Yeah. But you're not going to grow unless you invest in yourself. Change starts with you on the inside. I'm living proof of that. I'm literally Absolutely. living proof of that yes, from yeah, death. You really are. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> you know? So true. So 
it was to create this platform where people and, and and to show that there were coaches of color for people of color yeah nice that where you didn't have to change your narrative to help somebody else understand where somebody could meet you where your cultural needs are and still be able to support you in your future goals in your actions in your development all of it so it's like mulling this over and i was going through you know like pipe dream you know how those go like you go you you end up going to a bunch of conferences and you're like well i like that part of it this part of it sucks this part of it you know whatever like you start kind of compiling all of these notes mentally and then 2020 happened um, first, it was the pathogen. First, it was, you know, COVID-19. And that being like convoluted into the whole China, you know, Kung flu, China virus, that whole racism discrimination um, that came out from that. And then Mr. George Floyd's murder. Of course, yeah. You know, and throughout all of this, I was developing, uh, you know, my AJ Rao, which is that peacock one in the middle. Nice. And there's Love a reason... Thank you. I'm a, yeah, there's a reason the peacock's facing inward because mm, your journey cool. starts inward. That's right. You know, and that there's these, it's, it's, it's the same feathers, but these different iterations of it from the inside to the outside. And it has to go from the inside out. And so it really, I mean, my business motto is making the invisible visible for better belongingness, for better leadership, for better society, mm. better well-being, whatever, better fill in the blank. And so, so when 2020 was happening, I was like, you know, I was, I started noticing all of this stuff and I, you know, by this time I'd already known um, all the ways in which society renders us invisible, all of them. I mean, I studied it and how we internalize it and, and then how, how this was playing out in the specific context of 2020. In the meanwhile, I was in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, making a name for myself. Right. And what I kept hearing was two things. One, diversity, equity, and inclusion, we wish we could focus on it, but you know, unprecedented times, dot, dot, dot as in we don't have the budget or the time to focus yeah. on that. My response always was, this is, if you can't help your people feel like they belong right now, that is the worst thing you can do to your business. And then the second one was, we'd love to focus on diversity and inclusion, but there is a shortage of diverse talent. Oh my God. And wow. my first few responses initially were, do you realize who you're talking to? <laughs> like, are you able to say that with a straight face to a woman of color? <laughs> really? Um, I don't even know how to respond to that. But after that, I realized it was like a more systemic thing. So C3EB, then the coaches thing evolved because I was like, it's not just about coaches. It's about diverse professionals. There isn't a shortage. That's a myth. And this is exactly when we need to focus on this, because if not, we are going down in such a horrible way as a society if we don't do this right now. Yeah. So that's really where C3B came out of. 
where I decided to flip the script. And instead of the traditional conference where it's like, you know, 12 or 13 white men, one or two white women, and then the token non-white representative uh, in the inaugural summit out of 47 speakers, 41 of my speakers identified as black indigenous people of color or LGBTQIA plus or people who managed visible or invisible challenges. So these are the people with the lived experiences of marginalization and the professional experience. Yeah, yeah. Let's a, learn from them. Absolutely, I mean, such a series of astute observations. And um, I mean, just as a classic pure entrepreneur, you identified a gap in the marketplace or some need that wasn't being met and you've created the entity to yeah. service and fill that need. Well done, that's really extraordinary. Thank you, thank you. And that's really where Shakti is going to now, which we did, a, we've done a soft launch with Shakti, but um, there's a lot more coming up because Shakti is an Indian word, it's a Sanskrit word. Um, but with us, it stands for the synergy of heart, aspirations, and knowledge to transcend and impact. Wow, brilliant. Okay. Yeah. It's, Shakti uh, means like takat, uh, I mean like power, right? Yeah. Exactly. So the program is called Shakti Reclaim Your Inner Power. Wow, love that. And uh, it's whole person leadership development so that you're not being a leader just in your nine to five or in your community space or in your social network and or on the hamster wheel or on the hamster wheel. Right. It's we don't care about the hats you wear. We're going to focus on the head those hats go on. So oh, that, that. That's so you awesome. show up in the same way in every space. Yeah. 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 That's really great. Yeah. What an exciting time I know. right now. I mean, uh, granted, we have those external factors that we talked about in terms of 2020, but I think that's helped uh, kind of uh, uh, reinforce your purpose and, and motivation and drive in many ways, given the, you know, the culture of exclusion that, um, we're, we're party to and a part of. Um, so I'm really looking forward to how all your various initiatives progress. I think, again, it's, it's really an exciting time. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I, you know, this uh, better than I do, given what, you know, your background and everything. It's these, it's these moments where we get kicked down. Yes, as absolutely. a society that some of our best and most sustainable most implementable and most progressive thoughts and ideas and leadership comes from you know yeah. so i just i really just want to remind people of that that you know because i i see so much burnout i see so much fatigue i see so much discontentment disillusionment disenfranchisement you know all of this stuff take all of that and look at what you can learn from it yeah, yeah. because yeah. you have something unique to offer i promise you that you know yeah, and sure. This is this is exactly when you get to shine the light on that. You get to yeah. level up. You get to um, be that beacon. That's so you know? great. So I don't like. Don't deny the world your light. 
Wow, beautifully said. Thank you. I hope all our audience members take that to heart. <laughs> I hope so too. I hope so yeah. too. That's that's what I consider my purpose is right. to help people bring out that light and to shine it so strongly because if each of us start doing that, imagine how much light there's going to be collectively. No, it's so true. You're absolutely right. Gosh, uh, Aparajita, this has been such a great conversation. It always is a great conversation with you. I always feel really uplifted and light hearted afterwards and inspired, really energized and inspired. So um, thank you so much. Really appreciate how generous you've been with your time, your uh, shares and your willingness to to be candid and, and vulnerable. That was really very, very moving. And your insights are just so profound. Um, I really look forward to working with you going forward. Um, that's going to have to be some phenomenal interaction. So thank you again for being a part of the show. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you. I, you know, with you and me, something I've noticed is I completely lose track of time. Uh, <laughs> so uh, thank you for making this time uh, to draw my story out of me. Not everybody does it with the same care and attention to detail that you do. So it has been my privilege to share this, you know, my story and my journey with you. And um, I'm constantly inspired by what you do with your platform. So I'm constantly trying to learn from you. So I can't look, I can't wait till we actually kind of get our hands dirty and get into the work of this. <laughs> Absolutely. And I can't thank you enough. That was such a high compliment you, uh, you gave me. That means a great deal. Um, the same way you encourage people to let their light glow for the world. Um, I feel like everyone's got an amazing story, an amazing journey that brought them to where they are today. And I think there's so much inspiration that we can get from sharing that and hearing about it. So that's why um, I take it seriously. It's a passion of mine. And so thank you very much for acknowledging that. It means a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you do a phenomenal job with it. <laughs> It's really kind. Wow.